0: Good morning. It's very nice to see you. Um, My name is Aubrey. If we haven't met before, uh, I would love to meet you. And I'm I'm glad that you're here. Like Keith said at the beginning of the service, we haven't done this in over a year. And so we're still learning how to operate an air conditioner that (laughs) satisfies at least half of the room. So once again, Keith's in charge of it. So... um, uh, Be sure to let him know how he's doing. All right. If you have a Bible, please turn to James chapter 5. If you're not familiar with the Bible, that's all right. It's almost to the maps. It's way in the back. And there's a table of contents, and you can use that. But it will help if you can find this passage. James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. Now, let me remind you of something uh, we, at Incarnation, we started preaching through James a year ago, and then it got interrupted with, with various catastrophes. But a year ago, when we were starting at the beginning of the book in May of of 2020, we we saw that this is a letter that's written by the half-brother of Jesus, James, to Christians that... Um, and, and early in Christianity, they not, not only was Jesus murdered, but pretty quickly they began to track down others of his followers. And they began to persecute Christians. And so they fled. And they scattered all around. And this is a letter to Christians that have been dispersed because of suffering, because of persecution. And so one of the things that James is doing in this letter is he's dealing with suffering. But he's doing it in a unique way. He's writing in a particular genre. He's writing in the genre of something called wisdom literature. So if you're familiar with the Bible, in the Old Testament, this is things like Proverbs, okay? Now, the essence of wisdom literature in the Bible is this. It's how to navigate life successfully, Um, So think about Proverbs, how they're these pithy little sayings that if you think about them a while, they kind of give you insight into particular situations and a good way to act. So that wisdom literature is about how to navigate life successfully. And in the book of James, it's primarily about how to navigate life successfully when you're suffering deeply okay? Now, he starts at the beginning of the book really talking about this, and then he he touches on other subjects, and now we're at the very last chapter of the book, and he's returning again and doubling down on this issue of suffering derails us, and man, do we need wisdom um, to live life when life is not fair, when, when, when our particular buttons are getting flipped, okay? So, and notice what he does here in James chapter 5. He starts the chapter on a, on a slightly different subject, you think. He starts the chapter we saw last week, verses 1 through 6, with a scathing condemnation pronounced against this group of people that were instigating the suffering. The ones that had murdered Jesus and had turned against other Christians And in James chapter 5, verses 1 to 6, he uncovers behind all of their pious talk, that group of people were driven at the end of the day by greed. It's greed that drove them to murder Jesus, and the church gets scattered, and they go after them. So that's verses 1 through 6, James chapter 5. All right, This morning, we're looking at verses 7 through 11. And notice what he does. He says... He shifts from condemning this powerful group filled with greed that were exploiting people, committing all kinds of injustices. And then in verse 7, he says, be patient, therefore, brothers. So what he's done is he said to this group of people that were killing folk and getting, he he said, you guys are in real trouble. Like, God's not going to put up. You think you're getting away with it. And then he turns to the people that they've been clobbering. And he says, now, you guys, now, let me talk to you for a minute. And what he says to them is, be patient. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. And then over the next five verses, from James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11, James says to these people that he loves, these are his friends, he says to them, you guys, you're suffering so deeply. And here's the gist of the paragraph. When you are suffering, the key move is to be patient for the return of Jesus. Because when Jesus returns, his compassion and his mercy and his judgment will heal all wounds and set everything right. And that's what you want when you're suffering, right? You want your wound to be healed and you want the dude who's kicking your teeth in, you want this to be made right. Now, that's the main point of the paragraph. And and, and so let me just say it one more time. When you are suffering, be patient for a, a specific thing. Be patient for Jesus to return, because when he returns, his compassion and his mercy and his judgment will heal all of your wounds and will make everything right. And then he goes on in these verses to kind of, in this very realistic way to say, And to do that, to be patient like that, you're going to face two big hurdles. One is your heart and one is your tongue. You've got to make your heart fortified and you got to control your tongue because when you're hurting, you lash out, all right? So let's look at these three things, the main point, and then these two hurdles. Let's start with this main idea. When you are suffering, be patient for the return of Jesus. Now notice, this is his main point. He says it in almost every verse. So look at James chapter 5, verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Then the next verse, verse 8. You also be patient establish your heart for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And then in verse 10, as an example of suffering and patience, this is sort of like me with my children. They're like, Dad, you said that four times. We're in the same paragraph. You're still saying it. And I'm just trying to be like Jesus. Just trying to, or his half-brother at least. Um, Just messing with you, Sloan. All right. Verse 11, he says, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast or patient. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job. All right, so here he's got this group of people, and they're they're for real suffering. This is not like baby suffering. This is some for real stuff. And he loved these people. And they're going through a kind of suffering that can stun a person, all right? You know this kind of suffering? This suffering that it traumatizes you and then sears you with wave after wave of despair and of loss. There are people that James wrote this letter to and there are people in this room right now who have experienced things that no scripture verse explains. There is an evil in this world and a suffering that the Bible does not explain. And there is no, there is no logic And there's no theology that makes sense of it. There is such a thing as a suffering that is an unsolvable mystery to the best Christian, the smartest theologian. For example, the untimely death of a child. There is nothing Nothing that can make sense of the phone call to a parent. Nothing. Sovereignty does not cover that. It doesn't help that situation. It doesn't deliver you from confusion in that moment. And when you experience these kinds of sufferings that stun, that traumatize, you fall into these deep black holes of numbness. And despair. And these waves of excruciating, disorienting pain wash over you. And there is nothing that can bring comfort. And and when your friends try to comfort you, we have a whole book in the Bible showing you how foolish those friends are. It's called Job. Job's friends thought the Bible explained what he went through. And they were wrong. Nothing brings comfort in these moments. Nothing brings relief. Nothing can bring peace. Nothing can make any difference in these kind of sufferings to your grieving or your sense of loss. And you're incapable of reasoning about it. I mean, one of the things that we're learning from neuroscience right now is that trauma can actually scramble the brain and that, that it's actually in these kind of moments impossible to be reasonable. So if you ever had a friend that's disoriented and stunned and traumatized by suffering and, you, and you've got a good thing to say to them that to you is comforting, but to them, they're acting like a petulant two-year-old. They're just not hearing it. Back off of them. That's a neurological thing that's happening. There, there is a form of suffering that makes your cognitive abilities incapable of processing an event. and when we go through these things when we have these horrible experiences one of the things that i've noticed happens is that it can not only make it impossible to like reasonably think about this in light of theology or god it can also stun you into prayerlessness into just not having anything to say to god Now, what we see here is that when that kind of suffering is occurring, even though there is no explanation to solve it, there is a ground for hope. Our hope, in particular, is in the return of Jesus, not the smart books our pastors have read. Our hope is in Jesus returning. Now, let me show you. Mark your place here in James chapter 5 and go to right before the maps, like last page before it, Revelation chapter 21. And let's listen together. For some of us, again, for the 20th time, the 100th time, for some of us, for the first time. Let's listen together again to the marvel of what God is going to do one day. God Almighty showed this vision to John a vision of the return of Jesus Revelation 21 verse 1 Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more Now if you've read this like a novel and you let it tell you what things mean along the way when you get to the end of it you you know what the sea means and you're glad the sea is no more Because in Scripture, the sea symbolizes the chaos of our world. Remember in the very beginning, um, darkness covered over this void, and God draws out of all the chaos of that order. And all through the Bible, the sea is where the monsters live. And when Jesus returns, there will be no place where the monsters can hide anymore. And rise up and snatch us. Whatever your monster is, whatever that monster is that has ravaged you, there will be no place for him. That's what that means. The sea will be no more. Isn't that beautiful? And then notice verse 2. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So what we have here is God answering the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Remember when the disciples said to Jesus, teach us how to pray. He said, all right, pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so Jesus gave us this prayer to ask God to bring his kingdom to earth. And where does the Bible end? With the kingdom of God coming to earth and filling the earth. And so here we see that in, when Jesus returns, that prayer will be answered fully and finally. And then verse three, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, and depression and sadness and helplessness ripping its way through every fiber of your existence and you can't keep it back. There are no words and there is no explanation. Evil is a mystery in the Bible. It really is. In all of our best answers, they've got some insight, but they still don't get us there finally. But here is the sure and certain hope that when Jesus returns, he will wipe away every tear. Now, for me, when I read that, to me, that's the image of a mother. Not explaining to the child. But solving the problem with an intimate touch a touch, not an explanation. And just because we grew up and we don't fit on our mother's laps doesn't mean we don't still need this. This is what's going to happen when the Lord Jesus returns. And not only will he comfort you with his compassion and his mercy, he will deal with the evil that stained you. He will judge the evil. He will take up your cause. He will set everything right. And then in verse 5, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And and here's what I'm convinced of. Some of us have had things taken from us. And it wasn't our fault. And we didn't bargain for it. And some of us have done things, and there's a deep mystery behind why we did them. And just responsibility and sin and repentance can't fully account for the evil we've done. If if, if modern mental health is teaching us anything, it's that responsibility is a complex thing. It's there, but it's complicated. And you think you're suffering when evil's been committed against you. The people committing evil, they are are suffering too. And some of us have had these things taken from us. And some of us have done things. Some of us have given parts of ourselves away. We've wounded people. We've been hurt. And when Jesus returns, the thing we need most is what he will do. That part of you. He will make new again. He will. The parts you've given away that you can't get back, the parts that have been taken from you that will never, never, ever be returned. He will make all things new again. Now, this is the point of James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. When you are suffering, remember he's talking first to the group of people that murdered Jesus, and then he turns to the people that they've murdered their family and their friends, and they've scattered, and they've lost so much, and he says to them, so here's what you've got to do. You are suffering. Be patient for the return of Jesus. And when Jesus returns, he's going to be, his compassion and his mercy and his judgment will heal all wounds and make everything right. That's that's the point of James 5. Okay, now, now he says, as we try to do this, so there's two big hurdles. One hurdle is our heart. The other hurdle is the things we say. And this is quite intuitive when you think about it, right? So first of all, he says in verse 8, you also be patient, establish your heart for the coming of the lord that word establish your heart it means strengthen your heart it's a word used in a totally different context for fortify yourself with food when you're feeling faint this is in the book of judges right right so so somebody is feeling really faint they haven't eaten all day and their blood sugar is dipping right get some food right But how do you do that to your heart when your teeth are being kicked in, when you're suffering and you're despairing and you're depressed and you're sad and you're you're hopeless? How do you get food to your heart? How do you fortify your heart in these moments? Well, what we learn in the Bible is that it's grace that strengthens a heart. It's grace. Grace is what fixes and holds up, and it's the food for our hearts how in, a wor- in the world does a person strengthen their heart when they're suffering? When you feel like your, your very core is coming undone and your mind is fragmenting and, and you can't hold things together. When the pain is virtually unbearable. When, when your loss and your grief is seeping into everything. Well, One thing I know is that whatever you do and don't do in these seasons of suffering, don't stop going to church. Don't stop. If your faith in Jesus is leaking away, one of the most tragic decisions you can make is to stop going to church. Why? Because here... Is grace, Because here is where we encounter God in a way you cannot encounter him in nature. Because here is where he feeds us and he speaks to us. The spirit of God fills the church. And when you've lost the spirit of God and you can't feel it and you can't pray, whatever you do, Don't think that therefore you can't come to church. We will pray with you. We will pray for you. Look, here's one of the ways. No, I can't do it. When the church gathers in worship, when the church gathers to sing the praises of God, to hear the word of God, to confess our sins to God, He feeds us with himself. And that's what you need. You need food for your heart. This is what Hebrews chapter 9, 10, verses 19 to 25 tells us. It says, whatever you do, when intense suffering makes it hard to believe in God, whatever you do, quote, do not neglect this coming together. Now, let me just say, The pandemic has been difficult for lots of reasons. It's been difficult not only because it's produced a massive amount of personal trauma. But when you combine that with the church not being able to gather. That is a hurricane of destruction all of the trauma that's occurred combined with the fact that we couldn't gather normally. And the combination of these things has been so that some people in our church, some of you, your faith has gotten thin. It's leaked. And suddenly, this is a, this is a powerful thing Trauma combined with God not doing the blessings he promises us. When you live through those two things simultaneously, it can become very difficult to believe. And suddenly, wait a minute, what I used to believe, was that for real? What my parents told me, was that real? those encounters I thought I had with God, was that just groupthink? And here James is saying to you, when you're suffering, a big hurdle is that. You've got to strengthen your heart. And the way to do that is to find yourself to the means of grace because grace is food for the heart. Establish your heart. Look, if you've been too traumatized to believe, keep coming to church. You don't have to believe. If you've been too traumatized to pray, come on, we got you. That's the deal we make. You don't have to believe. You don't have to be able to pray. We got you. The church will hold you through long seasons of that. And if you just keep coming, God will strengthen your heart. And eventually, the searing intensity of the grief subsides. Now, that's the first hurdle. The second hurdle (laughs) is that we grumble against each other. Now, now look at this. This is quite interesting. Verse 9 right in the middle of this huge passage that's so full of grace, right? So full of compassion. We get this. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. See, in scripture, there's this paradoxical combination about God of fearsome holiness and forgiving peace. And anytime anybody tries to describe God as just one of these, they're off base. And somehow they are not, like contradictory but they're both there in scripture and you know what's interesting this whole passage other than that one line james is talking to the sufferers and it's all compassion and mercy but then suddenly when he starts dealing with the way suffering can make you lash out at people around you he doesn't offer the god of mercy to you he says the judge is at the door and you know when the last time the judge showed up in james verses one to six with the murders of jesus Now this is, this is, this is really interesting that suddenly he's saying that suddenly he is so concerned about the way we talk about each other. So think about this. This is a community traumatized. Okay. They're traumatized. And he's saying, there are two things you got to avoid right now. One, you got to strengthen your heart. And the other is what you cannot start turning on each other and tearing each other apart. Now, They might be different than you. Maybe you don't struggle with this when you've had a hard day at work, kicking the dog when you get home, right? Or suddenly looking around this room and realizing all the people really tick you off and um, they say the wrong thing and they ask you how you're doing and they should know how I'm doing, this, that, or the other. Just think about all the ways that we turn on each other. Now, why is he so mad about that? Because of what I said earlier. Because here is grace. And if we tear this thing apart, We're dooming ourselves. Right? That's why it's so powerful. Grumbling against each other destroys grace, it destroys the place of grace. It it will keep us from being able to strengthen our hearts. Let me say to you if you're suffering, be patient for the return of Jesus, He will heal every wound. And he will make it all right. And along the way, Church of the Incarnation, let's strengthen our hearts and let's not grumble against each other. Let's pray.